0: Welcome to another episode of the X-Experts Divorce Etc. Podcast, where we give you all kinds of information and tips on everything divorce. Why? We've lived it, so we get it. We're Jessica and TH. And keep in mind, you can get X-Experts in your inbox by signing up for our newsletter, get the latest news and find out all about our events before anyone else, plus access special discounts and prices. Head to xexperts.com to subscribe. Welcome everyone to today's episode of Divorce Etc. I'm really excited to have with me today Jan Barefoot, a private investigator. Her company is Barefoot Investigations. And unfortunately, TH can't join us today. She's under the weather, but this is gonna be a really fascinating conversation and something that a lot of people may not think about when they're getting divorced, but the truth is maybe you should be. So we're gonna hear all about when and why. So thank you so much for joining me today, Jan. Thanks so much for having me. So let's get started on, I think, probably the first question that a lot of people would have when it comes to divorce and the potential need for a private investigator. Like, what would be some of the common reasons or feelings that someone might be having that would prompt them to wonder if they actually need a private investigator?
1: Well, the absolute most common reason that somebody would need an investigator is if they suspect their spouse is having an affair. So, you know, when the typical signs are, you know, they're starting to come home late, they're not supposed to, you know, they're not where they're supposed to be, uh, they're private, more private with their phone, they may have changed their phone passcode. Um, You know, just working longer hours, you know, playing golf more often, going out with their friends more often. So those are the kind of the red flags that, you know, you don't want to confront your spouse about because they're just going to lie. So the most important thing to do is just call a PI first and then get answers to your questions and then figure out which path you want to take. So it's so funny because when
0: when you have kids, I have two teenagers, I remember back in the day people talking about um, like if you were going to have a nanny, like whether or not, you know, you should have a nanny cam, right? And people yeah. were kind of like, if you even feel like you maybe should have a nanny cam, that's your answer. Like you probably should just fire the nanny at that point. You don't even need to Absolutely. take the step of having the camera um thankfully I never felt that need but do you feel like it's sort of the same with a private investigator like if you're having a pit in your stomach and you're kind of questioning something like that generally means yes there's something
1: going on absolutely I mean the you know just your gut feeling just trust your gut I mean if you feel like something's going on then, you know, 90, really 95% of the people who call us and say, I suspect my spouse is having an affair, maybe even 98%, we catch them doing something. So by the time they come to us, you know, they just have that gut. There's just enough signs there. It's very rare that we follow someone and don't find that they're having an affair. Wow. Now the affair, like you said, is the pretty obvious one. Mm
0: -hmm. Although talk to us a little bit about, you know, I live in New York, And New York is a no fault state and there are a lot of states in the country where it's a no fault state. So the truth is, and my ex did have an affair, um, but it wouldn't have mattered really in the, in the end, in the end game anyway. So tell, tell us when it would matter.
1: Yeah, so every state is different. I mean, it really depends on, you know, your state's laws. Um, North Carolina, um, it, it has a bearing in North Carolina because it has a bearing on post-separation post support, alimony, whatever you want to call it. But it also can just give you leverage. Um, in North Carolina, we still have alienation of affections lawsuits. So you have the option of suing that person for damages, if they've, you know, alienated your spouse's affection, so that's a another reason why you might want to get evidence of adultery. So um, you're you're talking
0: literally about if my husband is having an affair, me suing the other
1: woman. Yes. That yes. does that happen frequently? It does. It does. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to say frequently. Um, because it is a very long, drawn out, expensive kind of emotional lawsuit. But, um, and you don't want to su- sue that person if there's nothing to collect. So, if that person doesn't have any real assets, they don't make a lot of money, then that's just kind of an emotional drain for you for the next three years. Um, but it does just kind of give you leverage because what I found is your spouse they've found this new love interest they're you know all about that new person and they're going to protect that person so if they're not going to want that person to be subpoenaed for a deposition they're not going to want that person's financial records to be subpoenaed their um phone records to be subpoenaed so they're just going to do everything they can to protect that person so it really does give you leverage just in negotiating a settlement that's favorable to you
0: Okay, so when what are some other reasons other than an affair? I mean, again, like that's sort of the obvious one, but I mean, are there other reasons why someone might want and need a private investigator during the divorce process? Yeah, I mean, especially...
1: Yeah, especially in relation to child custody. So if you've, if you've got a spouse that, you know, it may be unfortunate they've got a, um, a drug or alcohol problem, um, yeah. you know, so you we, we could do surveillance on that person to determine how much they are drinking, when they're drinking, how much they're drinking, are they driving when they're drinking, are they driving with the kids when okay. they're drinking. Um, another thing that can be really important if you've already got a custody agreement in place, whether it be official or unofficial, If every time you're, you know, turning over the kids, they're taking them to grandma's house and then going out with their girlfriend or friends or boyfriend, then that's going to be important to show that, okay, they're, this is their time blocked off with the kids and they're not taking advantage of it. They're not spending quality time with the kids. So that kind of surveillance can help you to sort of negotiate, you know, more time with your children. So that's a, that's a pretty popular reason that we do, um, surveillance.
0: And so that's already, you're already well into the process at that point. If you are already started splitting your custody, are you having people that are hiring you, excuse me, once the divorce is finalized or is the majority of your clients, are the majority of your clients currently
1: negotiating through the process? I would say 70 to 75% are are very early on. They're Mm -hmm. just having those early suspicions or they're just working through the process. But then, you know, the, the, there's a fair amount that are kind of after the fact. They may be one to two years into their their settlement, and then we've got those custody issues that are coming up, or the kids are talking about, hey, you know, mom's drinking a lot more, or dad's, you know, not ever around when, he, you know, we're over at his house. Um, another thing in North Carolina, I don't know about other states or New York, is cohabitation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, if you were awarded spousal support, Right um, from your spouse because of whatever reason, there's typically, if your spouse had a good attorney, there's a clause in there that says, okay, I'm going to pay you this support until you remarry or, co- or cohabitate. Yep. Well, I know a lot of people who have that. As long as, yeah. They don't remarry as long as they've got that income coming in, <laughs> but they will tend to all but cohabitate. So we um, we do a lot of surveillance around that to try to establish, okay, are these people living together? And And if they're not truly living together, how much time are they spending together? And so that that just, again, helps to negotiate, to get out of paying that long-term alimony or post, uh, post separation support money. Right. That's fascinating. And, And I would imagine, I hate to stereotype, but I feel
0: like probably more men are doing the hiring for that reason versus women. Because women generally probably aren't the ones paying the spousal support
1: yeah, it definitely is a higher percentage. I mean, it's not it's it's not unheard of by any means that we work for the the wife um and she's paying her husband uh, support. But um yeah, the majority are men for sure, okay. So
0: someone gets to a point for whatever reason, regardless of what state they live in, and they have a need, they feel they have a need for a private investigator. So what do we look for to make sure that whoever it is that we're hiring is someone good?
1: Yeah, that is um that's the million dollar question. I mean, you know, we our industry I've been in business for 36 years, so I've seen a lot of changes in our industry and it's all for the good. Um so we are definitely across the board becoming more professional you know not your typical gumshoe of you know how we're being portrayed in the movies (laughs) Um, so we've definitely come a long way but you want to you know if you can get a recommendation for from someone who has had experience with that investigator then that's going to be the most important thing i mean every case is not going to go perfectly so you may have a friend who hired a hired a pi and they just didn't You know, they maybe got caught or they lost the guy. I mean, it it happens to all of us. But you just want to make sure that that investigator, number one, is licensed if your state requires a license. And again, if you can get that recommendation, especially from an attorney, because they use them regularly. So they may okay. have, you know, had, you know, a years or more than one year experience, multiple cases with them. This is yes. Hey, these folks do a good job. You know, communication is key. That's the, the one thing that we pride ourselves on is that if you're going to hire us to do surveillance, you're going to know exactly when we're doing surveillance we communicate with you during that surveillance and so that's what you should expect if you go hire an investigator in any state you should expect feedback you should expect um you know suggestions on what to do and when you know we're going to offer our recommendations but ultimately it's the client's decision when they want their spouse followed and so you know we would honor that request Um, and then also just budget concerns you know just Make sure that you uh, most, most investigators are going to require a retainer up front, and they bill against that retainer at an hourly rate. And so you want to be notified when that retainer is used up before you continue. So the worst thing in the world is to get you know, a $3,500 retainer from, uh, from a client, and then you don't notify them until they're $8,000 in. And so, you know, that's, that's the one thing that we work really hard at is just keeping our clients up to date. It's like, okay, you've spent this much, you want five more days of surveillance, Well, we're going to give it to you, but let's get another retainer and work towards that milestone again.
0: Right. Yes. I think that no one would welcome all of a sudden... You know, like you said, get get uh, finding out you're in the hole. Um, right, can right. you give? A, I mean, I'm sure it varies to some degree, state to state. Is there sort of like a ballpark amount that someone should expect that would that um, would be charged? So that or, I, like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what a retainer would cost for an investigator. I mean, knock on wood. Thankfully, I didn't. I did not have use for a private investigator. I mean, um, so I have no idea.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it is going to vary. It's going to vary um, from um, from state to state, from investigator to investigator, but also from case to case, because, you know, some cases will warrant two investigators on the surveillance. Some cases, you know, it's an out-of-town trip, so that's going to be more expenses involved, more hours involved. Some cases, um, you know, there's there's just so many hours of opportunity that you've got more hours to cover. And so, we typically start out with a 3500 hundred dollar retainer so i would i would estimate that somewhere between 3500 and 5000 would be um you know a reasonable retainer to start with okay. depending on what your requests are
0: so what are some things that people should know about in terms of what not to do when working with a private investigator if you decide to bring one on as part of your case i feel like you know someone's probably angry and bitter and like there just might be behavioral things that you may have to warn your clients about so what are
1: some of those do not dos definitely (laughs) do not confront um do not share you know any any feedback that you've gotten from your investigator so for example we may follow um um, a guy one night after work and he goes to dinner with his girlfriend and, and we realize it's the girlfriend because there's kind of romantic and you know inclination and maybe he kisses her goodbye and they leave well that's not solid evidence of adultery and so you don't want to you know have your client confront him the minute he comes home so we we definitely report back to our client and we let them know what we've got but we get kind of give them a stern talking to him. It's like look you don't have solid evidence he could easily try to explain this away and so you don't want to confront him yet and I know That is the hardest thing for our clients because sometimes it takes a while. And so that may be, you know, usually not more than several weeks, but it could be, you know, several weeks into the process that they've just got to try to behave normally, um, you know, go through their daily routine normally and just not confront them. Because that is the, that is, I tell my clients, I said, just don't shoot yourself in the foot because that's really what you're going to be doing if you confront them.
0: If you're enjoying our Divorce Etc. podcast, be sure and subscribe to our newsletter to get ex-experts in your inbox. It's free and includes tips from real-life experts who've been through it telling you what they wish they knew. You'll also hear about our upcoming episodes and Q&As with our experts. Plus, you'll find out about our upcoming events before anyone else and get access to discounts and preferred pricing. You can sign up at www.exexperts.com. Are you thinking about dating again after divorce, but have no idea where to start? Maybe you need a little self-esteem boost or brush up on your conversation skills. Are you overwhelmed by all the new dating apps and crazy jargon? If the answers are yes, then let relationship expert and dating coach Jennifer Hervitz be your thinking partner, your cheerleader, and unbiased opinion when you need one. Divorced herself, Jennifer also survived the dreary dating waters, and so can you. It's her job to set you up for success, help you gain the confidence you need to attract the partner you deserve. If you're open to making positive changes and starting on your journey to finding love, book a free clarity call with Jen today on her website, jenniferhervitz.com. And if you mention the X experts you'll receive a special discount. Right. And it just sort of, I guess, negates the process that you initiated to begin with. So you now, as the private investigator, you and your team have done the job, so to speak, and the evidence you've found, whatever for whatever reason you were hired, you have the evidence, the couple goes to court. What should someone uh, expect in terms of the role of the private investigator during the court process or during the lawyer negotiation even if they're not litigating in court how involved are you in the rest of that process
1: um not not terribly involved so an investigator is going to we're going to submit our report we're going to submit video photographs every you know the what the evidence that we have it's going to go to the attorney and the client in a a nice little package and then they're going to use it however they see fit in in the case and however the case progresses You know fortunately most of the time once we get the evidence it doesn't go to court um so we we do testify but it is you know a small percentage of the time in in comparison to the number of cases that we work but if we do have to testify of course we're there it depends on the proceed um the proceed um what the what the hearing is about if it's a hearing if it's a trial sometimes they'll use an affidavit from us we have cases here where they're particular hearings that are limited to like 30 minutes so it's very hard to call witnesses in 30 minutes but sometimes they do and you got to get up there and you got to get information out very quickly um it, sometimes they just use us to admit the report but typically in a in a true trial then we would testify as to our observations and In North Carolina, we have to prove opportunity and inclination for evidence of adultery. So we would testify as to what opportunity we had that might be them together in a hotel room overnight or, you know, spending the night at, you know, someone's apartment or somebody's house or it doesn't even have to be spending the night. I mean, you know, we've certainly seen people having sex in the backseat of cars before Uh, or the front seat. It really doesn't even have to be the backseat anymore.
0: (laughs) I mean, and then to think that that a photograph of that is going to be submitted as part of a court case is hugely embarrassing. So that brings me to another question, which is how much evidence do you give or show the opposing party before it's all brought in? Because as you said earlier, having the proof that someone had had an affair gives you leverage in certain areas. So, I mean, are are they showing the spouse? I have photos of you having sex in the front seat of the car, or is it like, are they? How how much information are they giving them to use that leverage?
1: Well, my advice to the client is let your attorney use your leverage um, how they say see fit, to what degree they see fit, and when they see fit. Um, so, and and typically, if the attorney Tells the opposing counsel we have evidence of adultery. They're gonna, they're not gonna call their bluff. They're just gonna say, oh, okay, we get it. <laughs> um, but the, you know, the, um, the client is always going to want to have their aha moment, and so that's what I tell them. I say, okay, you cannot shoot yourself in the foot today you will have your aha moment, we just need to wait you know, until we get enough evidence. And so I don't typically encourage the client to show them anything, if it's the client confronting the spouse, because you don't wanna show them what you have, because then that tells them what you don't have. So if we do happen to have a case that's not terribly strong, um, and it is happened maybe just that one dinner where he kisses her and there's nothing else, then he knows you don't have anything else. And so that's, that's why it's just really important to not confront, um, until you've consulted with an attorney or at least, you know, have a path and have some advice from that attorney as to what your options are. So someone gets, uh, I
0: love, I love the tip in terms of, if you're getting a recommendation to get a recommendation from a lawyer, which makes obviously so much sense, but as you know, people going through divorce, your mind is all over the place. You're not always necessarily thinking straight and you may, you know, who knows where people are getting investigators' names and referrals from, but tell us uh, if someone hires a private investigator and they are not feeling like they're vibing with them for whatever reason, like what would be to you reasonable things to look for or to note that means that this is not, you should fire this private investigator and not continue to move forward with them.
1: Well, I mean, I think probably the most important thing is that communication. So if you're if you're not hearing from your investigator for days and weeks, then that's that's clue number one. Okay. Um, and if they haven't laid out a plan for you or made a suggestion and said, OK, this is. You know friday afternoons maybe are a good time because you know they get off work at noon that day and then they don't come home to to the kids in until 6 p.m so okay what are they doing you know then there should be some logic um to to a plan and the investigator should be able to help you come up with a plan as to when to do surveillance and so you really should feel that right away so you should feel that the investigator has experience and can speak with confidence and can speak from experience you know not necessarily that they're sitting around telling war stories because the client doesn't want to hear that but you can just tell that they've kind of been there and done that and so I feel like that that's that's really uh, important um you just need to feel like you're getting that communication you're getting suggestions you're getting feedback from them if they're if they're not responsive for a day or two that that's too long in my book i mean oh wow our I clients, yeah our clients get get called back you know sometimes we know if it's not urgent but in a typical situation if a client reaches out i mean they have our surveillance case manager cell phone they can text they they reach out they're going to get a response maybe not at 2 a.m if it's not urgent i mean but if we're out working the case and it's 2 a.m then they're going to get a response um so that's just the most important thing i mean if if you're sitting home wondering, hey, I wonder what my investigator's doing today or tomorrow or the next day on my case. That's not, you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be thinking those thoughts. You should know exactly what the plan is, and once that plan's implemented, you should know the results of the plan.
0: Okay, that's fair enough. And then is there, I guess there's not, I am gonna answer my own question, but in terms of how <laughs> long, well, just it, it, what's an average job? I mean, if someone's hiring a private investigator, like at what point would you say to someone, we've been on this case for X amount of time and the truth is we're not finding what you need or you're like, we already found what we need in three days. Like how much longer does it have to go on? So I'm just curious how that's determined.
1: Yeah, and there There are a lot of factors that go into that. I mean, really part of, so so for example, if we're not finding any evidence that they're seeing someone, then we need to make sure, okay, are we picking the right times? Has that person had plenty of opportunity and just nothing is happening? And have you spread it out over some time? So you don't want to pick... Just one weekend and say oh he didn't do anything because the girlfriend may have been on vacation that weekend or girlfriend may have had her kids that weekend and she has an order not to introduce them to her boyfriend. So you want to spread it out over some time and that doesn't necessarily mean 60 hours of surveillance. It just means a good sampling of his opportune time to make sure that you know that he's not seeing someone Um, if we are gathering evidence then. Um, a lot of factors go into that. It can it, you got to take into consideration how much money is at stake. What you know are they a dependent spouse? Um, is there? It doesn't have an effect on child custody, but you just have to take those factors into consideration. Uh, if we have a client that doesn't have an attorney, then we'll try to connect them with the right attorney for them. Maybe before we stop surveillance, just to, so that they can get some advice, uh, kind of midway to see how to how much further to to move with the surveillance okay
0: well that's also an interesting side of it that some people are are hiring you makes sense before they even hire a lawyer because they're just trying to start the process to see whether or not this is the road that they're going to take and then all of a sudden they find out yes and so um right it's like the opposite referral process well i This conversation is fascinating. I feel like there's so much more to be discussed and I think we're definitely gonna have to have you back, but I do have just a Great. personal question. How did you get into this business? <laughs> <laughs>
1: the, the million dollar question, right? Say, well, I,
0: I, I, again, don't wanna be stereotypical, but I think that most people probably expect private investigators, the majority to be men. So there's that whole you know, anomaly part of it as well, but yes, please
1: yeah, I mean, females are are growing in our industry. There's no doubt. i'm uh, I'm a member of NALI, which is the National Association of Legal Investigators, and we have just an awesome group of female investigators. And so it's just really been fun to watch over the years. Um, for For my path, it was not necessarily what I'd planned. Most people think that investigators come out of law enforcement, but really, these days, you have journalists um, that become investigators, uh, librarians that become investigators. <laughs> I personally thought I wanted to be a legal secretary when I grew up. So I went to secretarial school and started working for a law firm and worked there for a couple of years and then just sort of slowly migrated into the investigative industry. And so I feel like, I do feel like, you know, in 1986, there were only two other investigators in Charlotte, where I'm located. Um, both of them were men and i do think that i hit it really at a good time because number one i was you know one of the first female around okay Um, and i came from the legal industry so i had that professional background and i had that foundation i'm not an attorney i don't practice law but i had a foundation from the great experience that i gained from being in the law office for a couple of years
0: should someone care whether or not their private investigator has um like a police background or or something
1: more like that. Uh, no, I don't oh. have. I don't have. I know you don't.
0: I, so, and I love the fact that you had the, that it, you came from legal because I mean I feel like for yeah. exactly what you do, like it seems really like the perfect fit. I I feel like not knowing anything about the industry, my assumption would be that most have more of a police background or something like that. It,
1: it's probably the majority, for sure. Uh, I mean, but for example, I mean, I've, I've been in business 36 years. Again, I spent probably almost 20 years doing first-degree capital defense work. And so, you mm. know, criminal defense work. And so you would think, well, do you have to come out of law enforcement? Well, my answer is no, you don't. Huh. I mean, I had wonderful attorneys who I worked with and, and trained and ended up, um, you know, working nearly 275 first-degree cases. So it's... Wow. It's, um. you don't necessarily have to have that law enforcement background for sure.
0: Okay. Well, that's a good tip for people if they're looking at people's bios or something like that. So um, okay. all of this is really fascinating and really insightful. And I, and I hope will help people um, sort of not feel so anxious about the idea and make it seem less scary if they have to bring in a yeah. private investigator.
1: Yeah. I mean, really. Part of what the investigators should be doing is to put you at ease. You know, it is definitely scary to make that call or send that first email. But once you get on the phone with the investigator, you should start to be feeling a little more comfortable and you should be put, you know, being put at ease that, hey, this person's been here and done this before. There are other people that have been in my situation. And so it it should not be intimidating. After you've made that first phone call, and that's probably a good tip. If you're if you're not feeling that comfort, then you should probably reach out to a different investigator. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense.
0: Well, fascinating. Thank you so much for taking the time and for shedding all of this light on a topic that I think you know a lot of people need in a very vulnerable and dark and overwhelming time. So, really appreciate you explaining it all to us and. Um, sure. For anyone who's interested in finding out more about Jan or Barefoot Investigations, check out xExperts.com. We'll have her full expert profile with all of her contact information and links to go find her. And we'll see you next time. For everyone out there listening, if you know anyone at all who would benefit from what we've talked about today, please share this episode and everything exexperts. Be sure and click to subscribe, rate, and review our Divorce Etc podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please follow us on social media, at XExperts, on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. You can also find so much more, including articles and even the podcast transcripts on our website at www.exexperts.com. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter now. When you get XExperts in your inbox, you're the first to hear about all of our happenings at events, plus access special discounts and prices. Thanks for listening.